Hey friends, it's Justin Anderson from BFMD Podcast here. Just want to let you know that the following is the first of a three-part series on the Baseball Hall of Fame. Hope you enjoy. Hello friends and welcome to episode number 166 of Bad Flips and Maple Dips. First episode of 2022. Yeah, baby. Yes, it's Patrick here in Halifax, Nova Scotia. He's Justin in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Do we talk? Have, have we? Have we talked about the Grey Cup, or do we just want to? We did, I think. Okay, let's move know. on then. Uh, very <laughs> let's move, swiftly move on from it. Um, first podcast of the year, Justin. Yeah. How are your? I already know the answer to this, but uh, how are your holidays? And uh, what are your 2022 resolutions? What have you got on the docket this year? Sure, I don't have. I don't. I don't do resolutions. I don't. I've never, <laughs> I've never followed through on one for more than like two weeks. So. I've just, I don't, I save myself the disappointment, <laughs> but, uh, holidays were good. I, uh, was able to see some family, thankfully, um, on both sides, both my girlfriends and, and my family, which was lucky. And then I spent about seven or so days in a horizontal position on my couch, uh, playing <laughs> breath of the wild of which I've amassed well over 100 hours already. Um, uh, there were days where I probably played. 12 plus hours of that game so god damn I, I i'm not proud of it but i'm also not not proud of it <laughs> uh you can be proud of it i mean it was, if a game is good a game yeah. is good like you can we it, it was we, it was we just can't pretend uh, it's not. it was just crazy because i i got like i only got a switch in november of 2020 and i got breath of the wild like that at that same point and it literally stayed in the plastic wrapping until just after christmas this past christmas so i had it for a year didn't play it as i wanted to i wanted to wait until i knew i had time to just devote to it because i love zelda games and i was like if i play this like during work and i'm trying to focus on work and i just want all i can think of was going home to play breath of the wild it's not going to be good but if I play it when I have holidays, and this is the first time I've had like 10 days in a row off, and I can't remember how long, uh, yeah. I was like, I'm just going to play it then. And that's exactly what I did, and I'm, I'm glad I still have to finish it. I'm very close to the end. I don't want to spoil anything in case people are still waiting to play it like me, but I'm, I'm very excited that there's supposed to be apparently a sequel to it coming out this year. So I will not be waiting. I will be playing it day one this time around. Well, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm not my intention isn't to be contrarian here i i have logged a lot of hours on breath of the wild i've done mm -hmm. a lot of the. i haven't done a lot of the stuff but i would say i don't know i think it's a great game yeah i think it's not a good zelda game i Ooh. don't like i don't like how some of the lore that they're going with i don't like that direction Interesting. Uh, I'm not saying it's bad. It's very different than standard Zelda lore. Um, there, as far as a game goes, if you replaced Link with another, like if you replaced all the Zelda stuff with other, like generic hero or whatever, I think it would still be considered a masterpiece. It's the map is so fucking big. It's amazing. And I, I love that. I find that really annoying. <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, 
Yeah. I don't know. I, I love everything. I would say about like it. I would say like overall though, um very fun game. There's always lots of stuff to do. Yeah. Like you're not gonna run out of stuff See, that's, to do. See that's why I think I like it so much is like it's 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 like it's basically like Skyrim but Zelda. Like there's just like there's so many side quests. The map is massive, like you said. The areas of the map are very different, which I think I love a lot. Uh, not that the maps weren't different in like originals of the games. Like I, I think so of, like, big though. Ocarina so of Time is probably big. still my favorite, but um, but yeah, I, I I think I love the big map. This is honestly like I think it's a top five game for me that I've played at least top five Nintendo. It is um, ridiculously fun to just travel the countryside by horseback. Oh yeah. yeah. Find stuff to do, or like uh, goblins or whatever to beat up on. I would say the one thing I find annoying as fuck about the game, the worst part of the game for me is the the fact that all weapons break. Oh yeah. I think it's so stupid. And there's no way to repair it, them. It no, there's well, there's like a few per ones that you, you can get back. You can you can get back. They have yeah. to be reforged or whatever. But I absolutely despise the broken weapon system. I I think it takes away from the game. I, um, I would agree with that. The food system is cool. The I food love system the food. is fun. Yeah. The food and stamina system are excellent. I've spent a cooking, lot of time cooking. Um, yeah, probably like twenty shit. hours of my hundred hours has just been cooking. No, not that yeah. much, but <laughs> that, that part I find very fun. The climbing uh, system I is fun. Wish. I fucking wish you could craft weapons. Yeah, and I think be... I wouldn't be surprised if in the sequel they bring a, a sense of like either repairing weapons with materials that you can find or um, crafting. It doesn't make any sense. With I'd be shocked if they don't. The fact that there are some parts of that are like retro futuristic, where it's like yeah, there's alien spaceships and stuff, and you can't repair a fucking club. <laughs> yeah you can't just chop a tree down and get some wood well you can but you can't use it to fix your weapon it drives me i just yeah, drive i'm with man. you there yeah I, I that's a frustration of mine too because you'll you'll get a weapon especially when you like are fighting some of the guardians and they drop their like plus plus swords and battle axes and you want to keep those forever but you can't because they yeah. break but i anyway. <laughs> do like that their link can use a variety of weapons so yes. for example there there's like a preset for like uh clubs two-handed systems fine two-handed axes yeah. uh claymores the bow system is cool or tridents the bow system is, yeah. is cool, i find like i find the combat's very good fighting is satisfying it's, it would be more it's, satisfying it's, if there are enemies explode there are enemies that are very difficult to kill like for example the the lionels are very difficult the, to kill yes i don't I don't. I don't fuck with those them. guys. <laughs> them big, them big old bastards who are all over the map too. The big uh, cycloptic horns. Yes. Are, yeah. are they? What are they called? Helixes? Enix? Hinox. Helix? And then Hinox? Uh, the Maldugas yeah. in the desert are fun. Yeah. To kill. Uh, the Hinoxes are cool. I probably killed like ten of them or something yeah. like that. I like the the, uh, the big like rock golem guys too. They're fun to kill. They're tough. Yeah. Uh, the way that I beat them is I just use bombs. bombs. I just run around yeah. and confuse them and throw bombs at them, and that's it. And then you just pop I won't even spots. swing at them. Yeah. Yeah. With the arrows. So it's kind of fun to like do, uh, frig around with stuff like that. Anywho, <laughs> Zelda. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun game, man. Yeah. I would say the game. What was the game that I got for Christmas? I was playing a lot of uh, Jurassic World Evolution 2, which is not 
It's not for everybody. Is that it's for car- PlayStation? Yep, I, I got it for the computer and I hated it. So okay. I was like, I don't, I'd don't. i rather play it because I had like 300 hours uh, on Jurassic World Evolution 1 on PS4. I was like, I would rather just go back to the comfortable controls. Mm-hmm. So I bought it on PS4 and it's, I'll get the PS5 this year for sure. I'm hoping um, you get an Xbox Series X as well, but that's easier said than done right now but uh it's a park building simulator if you're not into that you're not oh, going to yeah. be into it so it's like almost like a roller coaster tycoon yeah. but the, jurassic world yeah the dinosaur ai is way better it's like like orders of magnitude better <laughs> uh way 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 better i'm really enjoying it um what else was i playing i just downloaded a couple of the ps plus free games so persona 5 strikers uh, I've logged hundreds of hours on Persona 5 and Persona 5 Royal, so this is exciting for me. And then there's Deep Rock Galactic, which is this dwarven mining game. It's like an, it was uh, initially, I think, an indie title. It's really, really good. It's worth cool. checking out. And I bought Mario Party, the, or like Mario Party yeah, Superstar. Yeah, I saw you had been playing that on Switch. <laughs> yep, I, I got that, so my sister... Uh, Sarah and I have been, uh, we, when she comes over, which we haven't done a lot because of Omicron, uh, in the last few weeks, when she does come over, we'll play a couple games of that. We've got Mario Kart as well. So the switch has provided a lot of hours of like family fun. That's good. Yeah. So it's just been good stuff. I spent a shitload of money on games. Now that I think about it (laughs) last couple couple weeks, there are worse things to spend money on. Like I bought that and I bought dress world evolution i have a couple games on my computer too i haven't had a chance because i wanted to stay away from my computer during the break mm-hmm. um i just didn't want to be like oh maybe i should just check my work email so right. for like 14 days i was pretty much off my computer but we back, we back i'm excited now. to talk baseball this is our big episode that we do every year about the hall of fame this year we're really ramping it up so we're excited to talk hall of fame today um, if you like what we do, follow us on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. We're on all the usual uh, haunts for podcasts Anchor, Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Breaker, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Stitcher, TuneIn, and a whole bunch more. Website BFMDPodcast.com, <laughs> Content TVD. Uh, it's just another spot to find the podcast for now. But. Um, this is kind of cool. This year, we're doing things a little bit different with the ballot. There's yeah. more to talk about than just the ballot proper. So we are going to talk about two of the committees that have been recently, relatively recently formed that seem to be gaining some more media attention and traction. So we're going to talk about the Early Baseball Era Committee, as well as the, I think it's called the Golden Golden Days Era Committee. It's it's basically the veterans committee, but I mean this is this is really interesting. Uh, so sit tight. We're gonna talk about the full ballot. Uh, we're not gonna spend 20 minutes talking about why we need Bobby Abreu to get 17% of the votes, or we're not gonna talk about Jonathan Papelbon forever. We're gonna talk about the the controversy that you see on the ballot. We're gonna talk about. Uh, guys we want to make it we're going to talk about guys we really don't want to make it we're going to talk about guys who will probably have a healthy percentage uh for the coming years and still might not make it uh we're going to talk about all of it so justin 
let's get right into it. I this is this is really exciting for me. I love talking about the early years of baseball because baseball the rules have changed over the last hundred years, but the game itself fundamentally yeah not that much different. I agree. So it's very cool to have conversations about players from like the early 1900s, which is over 120 years ago, <clears throat> have them playing and, you know, basically doing the same shit that Clayton Kershaw or, you know, Acuna is, are, is doing today. It's cool. So let's talk about the early baseball era committee. Justin, let's do it. Yeah. Two, so two, two guys, gentlemen are voted in. Two gentlemen voted in from the early days baseball committee uh, this year, Bud Fowler and Buck O'Neill. Now, if you don't know who these people are, I would encourage you to do a search, but we're going to also give you a quick overview right now. We'll start with Bud Fowler. Now, Bud Fowler was actually the first professional African-American baseball player, so truly groundbreaking. Um, this was announced uh, a few days ago on December the 5th, so we're bringing it up now for you. Uh, first, he first played on an all-white professional team in 1872 in New Cans- Newcastle, Pennsylvania. He was 14 years old. So Bud Jeez. played 10 seasons of organized pro ball, uh, a record not beaten by anybody until Jackie Robinson's uh, final season with the Dodgers. He, uh, for, for a colored individual anyway, uh, he became forgotten for a time buried an unmarked grave until Sabre actually placed a memorial on his grave in 1987 to signify his accomplishments. So Bud Fowler, first professional African-American baseball player, Patrick. Pretty cool. It is very cool. It's unfortunate that because of just the lack of records. Yeah. uh, It's some of these guys, they, you know, they have these uh, amazing careers and then they just slip through the cracks. Uh, and the fact that he, I don't know that he ever completely disappeared from the baseball zeitgeist, mm-hmm. um, but just the fact that he, you know, there there was no memorial, there is no Hall of Fame, you know, thing that says like here that he's the first uh, professional African American baseball player. Uh, the fact that that didn't exist until recent years is pretty pretty messed up but uh he's getting into the hall now as a pioneer executive he's very well deserved i'm excited to see how uh this will look in cooperstown Mm -hmm, i wonder what they're gonna do for it and uh this is cool i hope that he has some surviving descendants and that they get a chance to uh, have their day in the sun they deserve it Agreed. Uh, the second uh, gentleman we're going to talk about today is Buck O'Neill. Um, <laughs> like you have in the notes, Patrick, it is wild to think that this didn't happen sooner, but it's great that we're finally seeing Bucket in. Uh, most people from like kind of our generation of, of baseball will remember Buck from his appearance on Ken Burns' baseball documentary. Yeah. Uh, Buck was a premier figure in the Negro American League, as well as both a player and active uh, preserver of league history. He is a central figure in the creation of the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum in Kansas City, Missouri, a place that I definitely would like to visit at some point. Uh, former home of the Kansas City Monarchs, perhaps the most famous non-MLB team in North America. He yeah. did uh, pause his baseball career during the years of 1944 and 45 to serve in the U.S. Navy during World War II. 
as part of the construction battalion. He did scout for the Cubs uh, starting at the end of the 1955 season. And he is credited, Patrick, as the guy who signed Lou Brock, one of the all-time greats. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Later on in his days, he became friends with Ichiro Suzuki. Uh, Ichiro quoted, with Buck, I felt something big. The way he carried himself, you can see and tell and feel he loved this game. Buck passed away in uh, 2006 uh, at the age of 95 years old. So congrats to Buck O'Neill. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to see him finally get into the the hall. It is. uh, We've mentioned it before, actually, I believe on this podcast, or at least in peripheral when we've been talking about baseball players who should be in the hall and the fact that buck buck o'neill was pretty much at the top of my list unbelievable to think that it's taken this long mm-hmm. uh especially for a guy who's such a central figure when it comes to black baseball um and it's it's not just i think part of it has to do with the fact that for a very long time uh because of the the segregation of baseball up to a certain point in uh in in american baseball history statistics and things like that are either hard to come by or they they were given the brush off yeah you know what i mean like they're the credit's not there for a lot of these players who would have had tremendous mlb careers but because of segregation never got the chance so it's very cool especially someone like Buck O'Neill, who really is a pioneer for baseball uh, and was such a prominent force for, God, I guess it would have been like five or six decades of promoting black baseball and the museum and everything like that. Uh, And of course, watching Ken Burns baseball, you can feel his passion. Uh, Some of the best segments in all of uh, Ken Burns' baseball feature Buck O'Neill discussing players like Jackie Robinson or Satchel Paige or uh, is it Josh Gibson? I think it was, I don't want to mess up his first name. I think it's Josh Gibson. Anyway. Um, You're right. Those yep. are the best parts. If you haven't watched Ken Burns' baseball documentary, you should watch it for sure. Um, yeah. This kudos to uh, to Buck. I again, I hope his family, or if he has surviving members of his family, have the opportunity to be there and to be able to talk about Buck and and how big an impact he's had on baseball because the the impact is very significant. He is a pioneer of the game, and uh, I threw in the Ichiro thing there when I was writing this up because uh, I thought it was very kind of cool to see someone who was like four like generations of baseball players removed from buck be able to connect with him like that that's cool for sure yeah now uh now we move on to the golden days era committee and i believe we have four individuals to talk about here we Uh, do yeah this is kind of a cool this is cool because there's a guy i don't want to bury the lead too much but one of the guys on this list is a guy that i have advocated for on this program in the yeah. past and then there are two others that i was excited to learn about that i didn't know anything about and then of course our first guy here which i think many do know just because of the affiliation with the uh, the brooklyn dodgers but let's yeah let's talk about them all for sure the first person we're going to talk about here is uh, gil hodges 
uh, first baseman and manager. Now, Gill made his MLB debut in uh, 1943 for the Brooklyn Dodgers. And his last appearance was May 5th of 1963 with the Mets. So a 20-year playing career. Over that time, uh, Gill hit 273 with 370 home runs. And then uh, he became a manager after his playing career was over. He managed the Washington Senators from 1963 to 1967. And then the New York Mets from 68 to 71. Uh, over that time, he had a managerial record of 650 and 753 for a 463 winning percentage. Some career highlights for Gill, eight-time All-Star Patrick, a three-time World Series champion in 55, 59, and 69, a three-time Gold Glove Award winner from 1957, 58, and 59. He hit four home runs in one game on August 31st, 1950. Yep. Has that his, record. Yeah, has his number 14 retired by the New York Mets and is in the New York mm-hmm. Mets Hall of Fame. So now Gil you Hodges. might think, just not to interrupt you, but no, you might think it. that it's very odd that the Mets would retire number 14 when he spent the bulk of his career as a Brooklyn and Los Angeles Dodger. Mm-hmm. But it's worth noting that with the bro- with the team in Brooklyn moving to Los Angeles, Gill would have been a central figure in New York baseball for a very long time. Yes. Uh, he was also a player for the Mets for a couple of years, probably, uh, you know, because it was the tail end of his career. The twilight of his career, yeah. Yeah, probably not that big a deal, but he it's important to note that he was the manager of the amazing Mets. Yes. So that 1969 New York Mets team that won 100 games and the World and Series. went on to win the World Series uh, against uh, the Baltimore Orioles back in uh, 1969. They lost the first game, but they ended up sweeping uh, the, the, the next four games. That was a team that was stacked yep. with, uh, with outstanding players. Worth noting that uh, I believe Tom Seaver and Nolan Mr. Ryan Matt. were both on that. Yep. Yeah, they were both on the 1969. There's a host of other players worth mentioning, but I mean, to keep it brief, that was a hell of a team. Gil was the one managing it. So very cool to see him in. His numbers, if we were to compare him to like, say, if he, if the, if he was on the modern ballot with these numbers, would he would he get a sniff? Or... Uh, I, I, I don't know. That's tough to say. Um, yeah. Numbers alone, and I mean, we're biased with advanced stats now i mean the guy was an on-base machine career wrc plus was 121 did hit 370 bombs his career high was 42 in a season in 1954 so i mean the guy was the guy was a great hitter Uh, the defense metrics don't show the same picture but he amassed 42 uh war in his career as a player and the fact that he played for 20 years is pretty cool as well debuting at age 19 and he did take the 44, 45, and 46 seasons off, partly part of the due to the war, which he did enlist yeah. in. So yeah, he uh, was he did uh, lose he was four in the Marine years. Corps. Did lose four years of his playing career for or three full seasons. Sorry, 44, 45, and 46 he did not play. So um, and then 47 he only played in 28 games. So he basically lost <laughs> the four first five of years of his career. Game. Basically, yeah. Um, so the fact that he was able to hit 370 home runs in effectively like 15 seasons is pretty, is pretty good. <laughs> also, but fought, uh, yeah, and fought in a world war. and fought so in the like... world war. That this is this is why this this era of baseball, this uh, Golden Days era committee is is so important, is because a lot of the players who 
are going to get elected in this time were active service people um, and or maybe not even just in World War II, but in Korea or in Vietnam and all these other different different areas of that or wars of that time. So it's a, it's a very cool committee. But uh, next up, Jim Kitty Cat, a pitcher. Finally. He, yeah, he was born in uh, November 7th of 1938. I believe he's still alive. He's age, he's 83 years old now. He is, yeah. He is a lefty, which is, you know, I love lefties. Uh, yeah. He made his MLB debut with the Washington Senators on August 2nd of 1959. And his <laughs> last appearance, Patrick, was in 1983 uh, for the St. Louis Cardinals. So he had an incredibly uh, long career. Um, just pulling up some of his stats so I can further reference them as we go through. But uh, just some some uh, things for you as well. Uh, he was a, obviously as a pitcher, he had a 283 and 237 win loss record. ERA was 345, and he struck out 2,461 batters over his Pretty career. Incredible. He played for the Senators, who became the Minnesota Twins from 1959 to 1973. He played for the White Sox in 73 to 75, the Phillies for th- for 76 to 79, the Yankees for two years in 79 and 80, and then he finished his, year, his career with the Cardinals from 1980 to 1983. So he played from the age of 20 to the age of 44, Patrick Marsh. Holy shit, that's um, crazy. Career highlights, three-time All-Star, 1962, 66, and 75, won one World Series in 82. He was a 16-time gold glove award winner for a pitcher every year from 1962 to 1967 he won the pitching gold glove he was the american league wins leader in 1966 and is a part of the minnesota twins hall of fame uh over his career patrick he appeared in 898 games 625 of them were starts 181 complete games holy 31 shutouts Later on in his, in his career, he pitched more to the bullpen a little bit. He ended up with thirty or 17 saves. He pitched in 4,530 and a third innings. 4,530 innings <laughs> in his career. Yeah. Um, it, it was just, just absolutely incredible. Um, as his strikeout to walk ratio, about one and a half to one. Um, sorry, two to one base, two and a half to one. So very good ratio there. Uh, just an absolute champ this guy amassed 70 war in his career and likely should have made the hall of fame sooner and i know you're an advocate for that yeah one of the best uh lefties ever to do it 100 uh, percent. i think part of the reason why he would have gotten the brush off was because by the time he hit the ballot in the mid 80s mid to late 80s there were a lot of other guys yes also hitting the ballot and the rules, I think, were a little bit different with the voting. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't recall. I don't, I don't know what they were either. But... but I mean, he would have fallen off the ballot by, you have to wait five years, so 88. He would have been on the ballot potentially all the way up to 98. And it would have been really hard for him to kind of jockey for position. But if you, I mean, if somebody retired today with these numbers, they'd absolutely especially given like the volume of pitching this man did 4,530 in third innings. I don't think too many more pitchers pitched more than that, uh, especially during that time period. But uh, mm-hmm. while I looked this up as far as uh, all time innings leaders, 
Uh, it's worth saying Jim Cat is 25th on the list, uh, and the majority of the guys above him are all in the Hall of Fame. Yeah, so, and would have pitched probably prior to his career as well. <laughs> uh, yeah, true. Yeah. But uh, pretty pretty amazing career too. The fact that he only won one World Series and it was the second last year of his career is crazy. Yeah. Uh, he was just basically known for being a staple on any rotation. He gets mm-hmm. you the innings. Uh, as far as his uh, like year-to-year stats go, this guy pitched over 200 innings so many times. He pitched 304 innings in 1966 and then 303 and two-thirds in 1975 so that's wild yeah i mean obviously the innings declined as he got older but still the fact that he was able to keep going for another like eight or nine seasons after his last gold glove like he was still consistently useful for teams yes i mean that's wild he was a contact pitcher too like he his career numbers are below five strikeouts per nine innings but he just limited base runners. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pretty amazing as a batter, yeah. uh career 185. <laughs> Which is great for uh, a pitcher. It is, yeah. Uh 16 career home runs. Yep. <laughs> I just I don't know, I like looking at odd stuff like that. Um but yeah, uh, glad to see Jim Cat getting in. Advocated for him before, happy to see the veterans committee writing a wrong. So there we go. Yeah, third up from this committee, which has done a great job so far this year, is the Cuban Comet, Minnie Minoso. Uh, I did some digging on Minnie, and I, I, I found that this, this guest career was absolutely um, incredible. Uh, he was born on November 29th of 1925. He died at age 89 in 2015 in Chicago. He was a right-handed batter. He debuted uh, for the New York Cubans in 1947 which was in the negro leagues and then made his mlb debut in uh, on april 19th of 1949 with the indians uh, his last mlb appearance was in 1980 for the white Sox. you heard that right it's about a 30-year career <laughs> unbelievable uh total statistics 299 average just over 2100 hits 195 home runs uh th- almost 1100 rbis um, those three years with the Cubans in the Negro Leagues, and then he played for Cleveland for two seasons, the White Sox for six. He went back to Cleveland again, went back to Chicago, went to St. Louis in 1962, and then he was with the Senators in 63 in Washington, and then he finished up at the White Sox where he played three seasons, but there's, those three seasons were 1964, 1976, and 1980, so kind of a weird gap in those uh, years, which I'm not really too certain why I've couldn't really find a lot of information on that um so those out of those uh three years that he was played that he played in the negro leagues he was a two-time all-star he was a nine-time mlb all-star won the negro leagues world series in 1947 was a three-time gold glove award winner led the american league in and stolen bases from 1951 to 1953 for three seasons and he has his number nine retired by the chicago white Sox. Over those uh, 17 playing years, over 30 different years that he played in the big leagues, uh, 7,700 plate appearances, 1,800 games. Uh, Again, not a huge statistical 
guy here, but but uh, definitely a guy who had longevity and again broke some barriers as one of the first players to move into the major leagues from the Negro leagues, and uh, definitely well respected player. Um, defected from Cuba, went through a lot of adversity, and is now in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Mr. White Sox. That's Mr. All White he, Sox. You need to say people know who he is. He, yep. he played off and on many times for the White Sox. He's a, he actually ended up playing in Major League Baseball across five different decades, the 40s, mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, 70s, and 80s, uh, although 17 years of his career is kind of an anomaly. Yeah, those, those last two years where he, uh, he, he randomly played in 1976 and in 1980, a total of five games, and uh, recorded one hit yeah. in that time. So. Uh, he was fast. He, <laughs> he had a little bit fast. of power. Uh, he was a great fielder um, and uh, beloved by Chicago White Sox fans. Yeah. So, again, feels like another wrong being righted, getting yes. him in. Uh, our last guy is another guy who had a, uh, a pretty long career in the 60s and 70s. Uh, yes, another guy from Cuba who, uh, again, probably got lost in the shuffle, but uh, definitely deserves consideration for breaking ground tony olivia um played for the twins from 62 to 76 justin an eight-time all-star two-time world series champion as a manager i believe 87 and 91 twins al rookie of the year gold glover 66 three-time batting champion that's a big deal 64 Mm -hmm. 65 71 not very many players won batting titles back to back he did it his number six is retired by the Twins. He's in the Minnesota Twins Hall of Fame. 220 home runs, 947 RBIs. Career 304 batting average. That is a benchmark for me. Uh, career 830 OPS, which means throughout his entirety of his career, he was a good player. Yeah. Uh, and a great fielder. As well. Uh, very cool selection. And he's alive, which means he gets to see it. Uh, he gets to be there uh, on the day of, hopefully, and uh, this is pretty cool. Do you have any thoughts on Tony Olivia? No, I, I just—it's cool to see some of these guys, like a couple players from the Minnesota Twins organization and Hall of Fame getting in. Um, definitely a, a cool year for that. We've seen—it uh, was cool to see some of them, the surviving members like uh, Jim Cat and and Tony Olivia, present when they inducted uh, Justin Morneau into the Twins Hall of Fame uh, yep. this season. Uh, so yeah, that was it's kind of cool to see them still around, and I'm glad that they'll be able to get their to get their day at, at Cooperstown. Okay, and that will put a wrap on uh, part one of our Baseball Hall of Fame 2022 series. Uh, thanks for listening to it again. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at BFMD Podcast. The website is bfmdpodcast.com. Please listen and leave reviews on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, and much more. For Patrick Marsh out in Halifax, it's Justin here in Saskatoon, and see you next time.